genre. Previously on Legacy Door. I will make final arrangements with the recipient of your great gift. Arrangements for the procedure and for the future. And also for your nephew? His involvement has become necessary, yes. Arthur and Therese married right after she graduated, and Mom and Dad did too. Then the next year, me and my cousin Vanessa came along. Therese and Jeff, that's the boyfriend, drove into a tree on their way to pick up Vanessa from a sitter. So Arthur got Vanessa back, and a little bit later he married my Aunt Sandra. She already had a son, Graham, who's a couple years younger than me and Vanessa. Then Sandra and Arthur had two kids together, my cousins, Julia and Kevin, twins. Oh, good. More names. She also mentioned Shada Alipur. Shada's the one who brought me in. She's actually doing OT up at the Dorn place today. Something with his estate? That's my guess. Some crazy bequest to somebody. Families, huh? Your name? Daniel Lutcher and guest. Of course. Said Alphonse, not consulting the clipboard. Welcome back, sir. Legacy Door, Episode 1.6, Pieces. Daniel Lutcher, 10.54 a.m. Quite a lineup, said Joyce, standing on paved ground and regarding the expensive cars she had driven past to find a parking spot. She untied her red scarf, then bent over and brushed the tangles out of her thin but abundant hair. Addressing the ground, she continued, What's in this parking lot could get me my own gallery. Free, clear, and stocked. Driveway, replied Dan, both enjoying watching her and wincing at the sound of the brush repeatedly pulling from the dark roots to the blonde waves. Everything paved out here is the driveway. Nice, she replied the sound of tearing hair lessening with each brush. They definitely have more help here than I remember in the old days. There was a part-time nanny and some sort of assistant who doubled as chauffeur, but they usually weren't around on weekends, unless Aunt Sandra was out of town or sick. Caterers, maybe? Suggested Joyce, looking upwards through her curtain of hair. Could be. Probably. Though the guy at the front gate looked kind of lived in. Joyce straightened up and flipped her hair back with a practiced movement. How do I look? She asked, posing with an ostentatious grin for a split second, before leaning over the car door to check herself in the side-view mirror. Great. Yep. She licked her teeth, mouthed a kiss to herself in the mirror, then grabbed a purse made of off-white knotted fabric from the back seat and turned to join Dan. All right, let's rock this thing. He smiled as they walked toward the lawn. They passed close beside an affluent, pretty couple he didn't know, engaged in a similar routine of getting out of the car and adjusting themselves. All involved made a polite pretense of inattention, but Dan allowed himself the feeling that his car and girl looked better and more interesting. He heard a gull above him and looked up to see several lazily circling the lawn, doubtless hoping to feast on dropped hors d'oeuvres once the crowd of humans moved off. He also thought he heard a distant rushing sound like surf. It could possibly have been Lake Michigan, somewhere east, but trees behind the house completely obstructed the view in that direction. He reasoned that this was probably only a thin strip of woodland used to create privacy and the illusion of being much farther from the city and other people than they actually were, but from where he stood they were much like the thick forests that took up a portion of his dreams, though very different from the parched primeval savanna where the cone creatures lived. 
Dan once again wrenched his attention out of the dreams and into the present moment, and saw another, younger, well-dressed, male-female pair near the edge of the driveway, sharing a pause in the midst of a banter. The young man took a sip of what looked like cola from a clear plastic cup, then looked over, first at Joyce with somewhat overmatched appreciation, and then at Dan with blankness. Dan had a feeling who these teenagers should logically be. He scaled down the young man's broad shoulders and the young woman's long legs and caught the resemblance around the eyes and nose to each other and to the children they had been. Kevin? The young man looked puzzled for a moment, then his eyes lit up in recognition. Is that Dan? He asked. Yeah, said Dan, smiling unevenly. Dan freaking Lutcher, replied Kevin, putting his drink on a stand, taking Dan's offered hand and pulling him into a vigorous hug and thumping him on the back. He then pushed Dan back to arm's length to look at him and, not knowing what to say, laughed. <laughs> hey, said Dan, underplaying. Julia, said Kevin, turning and pointing. It's Dan. Yeah, I gathered that. Dan took a moment for a second look at her. She seemed as athletic as her brother and equally ill at ease in formal clothes, her knees below the level of a skirt that was probably supposed to conceal them. Hi. I remember you being taller. <laughs> you probably remember most people being taller. Look at you. Kevin smiled. Yeah, she shot up ahead of me and I'm still catching up. She just turned down a volleyball scholarship. Dan raised his eyebrows. Oh yeah? Julia's shyness returned. She spoke quickly, trying to shorten her turn talking. Yeah, well, it wasn't the place I most wanted to go, and anyway, it seemed like it should go to someone who needed it. Dan nodded. Makes sense. Julia continued, low and uncertain. Though the independence might have been... Kevin, not even noticing that she'd started talking again, turned to Joyce and said, And you are? Dan shared a social wince with Julia before turning to Kevin and saying, This is my friend Joyce. Kevin smiled. Hey, any friend of Dan's? And hugged Joyce as well, a little close and long. Joyce permitted this, but raised an eyebrow as Kevin pulled away. Kevin explained himself with, We're a very huggy family. Really? Doubted Julia. Kevin shot her a frown. Dan assumed that inquiries about his life would be next, and decided to forestall them while he could. Well, I should probably pay my respects to Uncle Arthur. Peering into the throng, Dan missed the twins exchanging a sad look. He couldn't pick out his uncle among the dozens of partygoers, a larger, older, and squarer crowd than he remembered, but he did discern a young man walking directly towards him, his long strides showing the cat-like grace and power of a dancer or a martial artist. As their eyes met, the man smiled with a pleasantness that seemed forced. He was definitely from the same mold as Arthur's combination driver, bodyguard, personal assistants from Dan's childhood. The newcomer exchanged a nod with Kevin and Julia, then spoke to Dan. Hello, my name is Will Riley. I'm Mr. Dorn's associate. Good to meet you, Will, said Dan, shifting the gift bag to his left hand before meeting the expected iron handshake with his right. Likewise. Mr. Dorn asked if he could speak to you right away. Riley looked over at Joyce and guessing her approximate role, added, It shouldn't take much more than a few minutes. Joyce smiled back a little coldly, but said nothing. Well, I guess that's my cue, said Dan, turning to Joyce. Um... Uh, Joyce, let me show you around. There's no telling what a few minutes means in Dad speak. Thank you. That would be great. 
Dan was about to go when Joyce gripped his arm and leaned in to give him a solid peck on the cheek. She also took the opportunity to say in his ear, such that the others could see but not hear, On with the show. Dan gave a shy smile that grew crooked as he waved to his cousins and turned away. He knew that Joyce was putting on an act, but being the focus of her casual affection was a little dizzying all the same. As he followed Riley, he saw that the nearest part of the house was the sunroom, an extension full of windows and plants. He could barely see into the room, given the distance and curved glass, but through the framed glass door, he could just discern his uncle, white-bearded, waving at him from a large motorized wheelchair. Dan smiled and waved back awkwardly and noted an indistinct white figure in the background. As Dan and Riley passed around toward the front door and the sunroom disappeared from sight, Dan asked, Is my uncle sick? Riley grimaced. Right. I guess you've been out of touch. Your uncle has been sick for some time. He gave Dan a measuring look. You'll have to ask him if you want to know details, or maybe he'll just up and tell you. Dan nodded as they passed through the door into the front room. It was much as he remembered, fancy and a little austere, but with that hint of randomness inescapable in a place where children had lived and were remembered. His earlier comment to Joyce led him to look for familiar pictures of his Aunt Therese, and he noted that several had been displaced by new ones of the new family, mostly graduation photos posed or candid. But not far from the brass-lined fireplace, there was an older, black-and-white, silver-framed, horizontal 8 by 10 of Therese, Arthur, and Dan's parents. Arthur's bare, chubby, broadly-smiling face was closest to the camera and dominated the middle, with his right arm holding Therese, who smiled enigmatically, and his left on the shoulder of Dan's father, whose bigger smile went oddly with the confusion in his eyes. Dan's mother beamed just to the left and behind his father, the angle of their arms indicating she was holding his hand just off the bottom edge, and using her other hand to make a cover girl gesture next to her styled hairdo. Dan took in these details especially quickly because his mother kept an identical print in identical frame in her bedroom, and Dan had spent many hours studying it, trying to imagine how things had been then when his parents had more future than past. Looking into his father's discomfort for a reflection of his own, and into Teresa's mysterious look for insight into Vanessa. He'd fallen asleep staring at it one night, while his mother was out at a party. She had rousted him up, and ever since, had seemed a little disturbed by the intensity of his interest, so he had become more covert about it. It only took a moment for Dan to revisit these familiar nuances, but it was enough for him to fall three steps behind Riley, so Dan double-stepped to catch up with him and dispel his backward look of impatience. They approached the hallway that would lead to the sunroom and, Dan knew, Arthur's windowless study beyond. The end of the carpeting short of the tiled corridor had marked the end of their play area as children and the beginning of the adult world, a world of raised voices muffled by closed doors and the echoing footfalls of grown-up shoes. Dan realized that similarly raised voices were now dying away, a door opening, and similarly echoing footfalls approaching him. Turning the corner, he saw two figures. One was a young East Asian nurse in full white uniform, looking downward as if anticipating an unpleasant conversation. At her side was a short, thin, balding, and graying middle-aged Caucasian man with sharp, bespectacled eyes and a disparaging curl to his lip. He gave Riley a quick look of distaste, and Dan an even quicker look of nothing at all. 
The corridor was only barely wide enough for two people to pass each other, and Dan and Riley, by some instinct, simultaneously backed against the right-hand wall. The nurse gave Dan a distracted smile of thanks as she passed. The man did not. Dan's mind juxtaposed the experience of being snubbed by this man he didn't know to the similar treatment from Abby's father, Mr. Strauss, who Dan only knew in a dream. Mr. Strauss came out worse in the comparison, he decided, his disregard of Dan seeming deliberate and prejudiced, whereas this man was simply too busy to be bothered. But Dan didn't enjoy being on the receiving end either way. The duo having passed, Dan noted beams of light streaming into the hallway from the open door to the sunroom and walked forward. Riley fell into step behind him. The light from the many windows was dazzling at first after the comparative darkness of the hallway, and the room came to Dan detail by detail as his vision adjusted. Uncle Arthur was propped up in his mechanical chair, unevenly emaciated, white beard and skin hanging as if some of his air had been let out. He seemed to smile, but the skin on his face hung so loosely that the exact expression he was attempting was uncertain. Near Arthur, but not tethered to him, stood various medical equipment, an IV, some sort of respirator including clear plastic mask, and a third machine Dan couldn't guess at all, all on casters. The various surfaces of the room were scattered with files and papers. The only sounds were conversation outside, muffled by the sunroom door, a periodic hiss-click from the respirator, and the closing of the interior door behind Dan. A covert glance showed that Riley had remained outside. Arthur spoke, his voice a creaky shadow of what Dan remembered. Danny, at last. Here, this chair can be rather alarming when it lurches, so you come to me and take my hand. Dan stepped forward at once, unwilling to show the slightest fear, reluctance, or discomfort. He closed his solid fingers on Arthur's loose ones carefully, but firmly. He surprised himself by not trembling. Hi, Uncle Arthur. What's that in your other hand? You'll forgive me for not putting off my surprises until some future time. Oh, Mom got you some spinach pies. Arthur grinned more broadly, or perhaps winced. Fresh this morning? Fresh this morning. Unwrap one, will you? Dan briefly considered questioning the advisability of this, then resolved that Arthur knew his business best. He reached in, undid the twist tie on the inner plastic bag, and pulled a pie out while setting the bag on the floor. He held the pie out to Arthur. Closer. Please. Dan held it in front of Arthur's face, and Arthur inhaled. <sighs> the homeliness of the bread with just a hint of the tart, oily spiciness within. Dan smiled. Arthur's smile turned wry, or pained. I would ask you to break it open, but as I won't be able to eat it, that would just be a waste. Without hesitation, Dan used both hands to carefully break the pie open without letting the contents spill, and held one end to Arthur. Yes, there it is, Arthur said, his voice breathy. No feta, I see. Gina must fear for my cholesterol. Arthur attempted a laugh then, which was immediately arrested into a racking cough. Arthur's left hand gestured in the direction of the respirator. Dan dropped the pie on the ground and quickly stepped to the machine. But when he looked back for further guidance, he saw that Arthur had recovered and was waving him back to his former spot, where Dan bent to brush pie pieces and oily spinach leaves into the bag. We... I hadn't heard you were sick. Dan said, facing the floor.
I have not advertised it widely, though that must soon change, which brings me to our business. Others are waiting on us, so we shall have to save many things for other times, if there are any. Okay, said Dan, standing back up. I am, as you say, sick. Desperately so. It began as cancer in a specific area, and a great deal of scientific cleverness has pushed it around, preventing my death at the cost of straining all my other organs to the breaking point, one by one. The cancer, though bullied, is not to be beaten, and my means of resistance grow scarce. Dan, dry-mouthed, forced himself to swallow, and found his brain focusing on the form rather than the content of Arthur's speech. Arthur had always been ostentatiously well-spoken, but this sounded practiced. I have been offered an experimental treatment. Extremely experimental. So far off the track of conventional medicine that it hasn't occurred to anyone to ban it, though this may change if Dr. Lawrence has his way. Here Arthur nodded in the direction of the hallway where Dan had seen the angry man depart. I have resolved, for want of a better course of action, to accept and to take part in the experiment. I've put a lot of thought and effort into this, so don't waste yours trying to think of ways and means of talking me out of it. Arthur took a deep breath. Dan did not. However this turns out, there will be, I think, a great deal of controversy. Amongst Dr. Lawrence, your Aunt Sandra, my children, the experimenters, and perhaps others. If I get well, or if I die, or anything in between, they will each have an interest in seeing things a certain way. This is, therefore, the last practical moment for me to make certain allowances that I always planned to make eventually. And some of them concern you. There had been just enough awareness in the back of Dan's mind that his uncle's ill health might mean some financial windfall, that Dan couldn't pretend to be surprised, let alone to protest. But he did not have to fake the sorrow in his voice when he said, I see. You see partially, and it's time you saw a little more. And you will see that this involves both benefits and responsibilities. I intend to make use of your proven ability of description in order to keep straight a record that might otherwise go awry. He reached down and pressed a button on a radio holstered to his chair. A brief electronic chirp resulted. Well, he said. Yes, Arthur, came Riley's response, preceded and followed by a slightly longer chirp. Get our friends from the drawing room. They've been left to stew long enough. Right away. Arthur faced Dan. Mrs. Alipur, my attorney, will have papers for you to read and, if you agree, sign. I've begged her to keep it all simple and brief, but I imagine deciphering it will be no small challenge. With her will be a representative from the organization that will be treating me, who you will already... There was a quick double knock, and then Will Riley entered holding the door open for a middle-aged woman in a grey suit dress, her raven-black hair in large, solid-looking curls. Her face was shaped kindly, but her expression was only slightly less fierce than that of the man Dan had seen in the hallway, whom he now assumed had been Dr. Lawrence. 
Following her in was a tall, skinny, older man in an ill-fitting brown suit and an unseasonable grey overcoat, wearing a battered fedora. The intervening decade had made its changes, but the gleam in the man's eyes and the rushing in his own ears prevented Dan from denying to himself for even one moment that he was once again in the presence of his uncle Frank. Joyce Vera, 11.01 a.m. All right, said Julia to Joyce as Dan walked off. Let's go. Hey, Kevin, go see if mom needs anything. Kevin made a sour face at the blatant unvitation, but did not object. Joyce's smile at this became a little uncertain as Julia drew her pinky across her own throat and then pointed it at Joyce. Kevin copied the throat gesture and point before nodding, with the gravity of a little boy accepting a secret mission. As Kevin left, Julia led Joyce past an opening between a hedge and a stand of trees, onto a cobble path meandering slowly away from a blank side of the house. You're not going to hunt me for sport, are you? Asked Joyce. What? Oh, (laughs) said Julia, laughing nervously and quickly repeating the pinky throat gesture. That was just a secret code swearing him to secrecy about you. Hmm. Or else I'd cut his throat, I guess. For squealing. Right. Guess you Lake Foresters play rough. Oh, yeah. We're totally extreme up here. But really... Kev and I made up our own things so we could be a conspiracy against the older kids. That is, when we weren't walking over each other to get their approval. Joyce, not wanting to encourage a subject that would lead to Dan, and perhaps her true relationship to him, maintained a silent smile as the party sound decreased and the pause lengthened. Their walk was at a fork that led rightwards to the house, or leftwards to a set of tall hedges, The nearest hedge, about 60 feet away, formed a sort of display wall behind a nearly life-size bronze statue of a woman with an owl on her arm. Joyce thought this was probably meant to be Athena, and not bad for the Greco-Roman trash genre. Julia finally picked the conversation back up, the words coming out in a hurried jumble. Anyway, I figured I should keep you and Dan's secret from Mom and the other sibs until I can produce both of you for maximum dramatic effect. Nice. Is his being here that big a deal? Well, Kevin seems to think so. As for mom and dad and the... Speak of the devil. Joyce looked around quickly, seeing nothing new, and only when she looked back where she started did she see Julia's devil standing and regarding the bronze Athena as if she had been posed there. It was a woman about Joyce's age, in a long dress in unusually overlaid shades of deep blue and aquamarine. She had a great mass of dark brown hair that fell, apparently naturally, with a smoothly curved flow that framed her face perfectly. At this distance, her eyes against her off-white skin seemed like points a confident painter would create with two little dabs of blue. The almost imperceptible breeze was enough to lend the hint of movement to the dress and hair that the same painter would have used, and to add a hint of the classical shape and body beneath. Vanessa! called Julia, with a preemptive smile and wave. Vanessa turned quickly, startled, then returned the wave, though the amount of pleasure behind it was unclear. She called back, Who's your friend? Oh, this is Joyce, replied Julia, her casualness a little forced. Mom was looking for you. Vanessa rolled her head as if to indicate that this was unwelcome but expected, and shouted back, Gotcha! to Julia and, Nice to meet you! to Joyce. 
Likewise, said Joyce at medium volume, not sure if her reply was heard or, if not heard, missed. That's my sister. Yeah, Dan filled me in. Joyce noted Vanessa's perfect gait and the shape of her ankles as they peeked out from under her hem at each step. Joyce recalled a complaint of Brenda's that she was always competing with Dan's adolescent past. Joyce now felt that Brenda had, if anything, underestimated the competition. It was a more professional part of Joyce that finally spoke. Does she model? <laughs> um, no, not that I know of. I mean, she's pretty enough to do it, of course, but she doesn't have a model build or that kind of ambition. They reached the statue, which Joyce eyed critically as she smiled, trying to diffuse the anxiety the question had apparently brought. No, I was thinking more of artists modeling, not fashion modeling. I sculpt. Julia's eyes widened. Oh, well, I'm glad you told me that before I said something dumb about the pieces out here. Uh, no, I, I don't think she's done that either. Hmm. Joyce examined the point where Athena's arm ended and the owl began. The joint was accomplished well, encouraging the illusion of two separate beings without being too fussy about the distinction. I've done a little, though, said Julia. Oh, I posed nude for a life drawing class a couple weeks ago, after I turned 18. Really? Was that something you always wanted to do? Oh no, I was terrified. But I dared myself to do it, to try and get more comfortable with, well, with looking the way I do. Joyce looked Julia up and down and failed to find any deformity. Boobless. Joyce gave a short laugh, which she hoped was reassuring. She certainly wouldn't have wanted to go through puberty with an older sister who looked like Vanessa. Did it work? Not so much. Or maybe, I don't know. Julia led them around the hedge to another of equal size, in front of which was another statue. This of a woman holding up a bowl to the sky. The setup out here is really cool, said Joyce. Yeah. Though if they filled in some of the gaps, you could have a maze. Julia's eyes brightened. I know, right? We kids have been trying to get the parents to do that as long as I can remember. Dan, well, you know, when I saw Dan, I thought I barely remembered him. But now I can clearly hear him telling me that with all the art out here, it would be a maze -um. Joyce rolled her eyes. Of course he did. Julia didn't take note of the response. She was gazing off into the past. I thought that was the funniest fucking thing I'd ever heard. I was, what, seven? Joyce, more impressed with Julia's frankness than the new statue, smiled and moved on. Julia followed. There's stuff in the coach house that you might like better, I think. Oh, no, these are interesting. Mom has to approve everything out here, and she only likes dignified things that are really pretty or sad. And, of course, weatherproof. I'm glad Vanessa didn't catch us out. I really want to see the look on her face when I introduce her to Dan. They were always going at it. Joyce raised an arch eyebrow, but Julia didn't react. At last, Joyce asked, Going at it? Yeah, going at it. You know, fighting, arguing. Oh, no, not the other thing. No, 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 uh, uh, no. Mm -mm. Joyce judged that either Julia's denial was genuine, or she was the best actress in the world, then looked at another piece. Although... Joyce turned back, beginning to love how Julia always had one more thing to add on a subject, however outside her experience it seemed. I remember when I was eight, 
I was marrying one of my Barbies to Ken. It was a brunette Barbie, probably Belle from Beauty and the Beast or something. And during the ceremony, I called them Vanessa and Daniel. I don't know why. I think I hadn't seen him for a year at that point. Huh. I can barely remember games I played at that age. Oh, well, that one sticks out because my Barbies disappeared right after that. Joyce gritted her teeth and audibly inhaled through them. Julia nodded confidently. Yeah, I think Vanessa must have overheard me and saw to it that they met with an unfortunate accident. There was a hunt, then I put up such a ruckus that Ven got hauled in for questioning in front of Mom and Dad together, and before you know it, it was all, you're not my real mom, and everyone's shouting and nothing gets resolved. Joyce studied Julia's face and found it thoughtful but not especially troubled. Julia continued. She didn't say that very often, but when she did, you could tell she'd been keeping it bottled up. Joyce nodded. Anyway, the charges were dropped, but Ven gave me a bunch of Barbie stuff every Christmas and birthday until I finally told her to stop. Which was when? Right before I did that nude modeling. I got a pretty massive collection now. The matter-of-factness of Julia's delivery made Joyce laugh raucously. Julia joined in more tentatively. By the time they stopped, they'd reached the end of the sculpture garden, without seeing anything that impressed Joyce much beyond the setup itself. So, more pieces at the coach house? Interior of Shea Dorn? Or finally around to the party? Hmm, I don't know. Would help if we had some idea how long Dan and your dad will be. I don't want to miss the reunions either. Good thinking. If we come back around the way we came, we can look in on the sunroom and see how they're coming along. They strolled back up the path in comfortable silence, the uncertain schedule seeming to drain away the urge for conversation. Joyce looked up at the architecture, about which she knew nothing, and admired the greenery. The low burble of party conversation gradually returned. Turning the corner of the house at last, she saw the many-windowed sunroom, and through the door made out Dan sitting next to what must have been Arthur Dorn. Three other figures sat there, and they all looked very serious as they pored over multi-page documents. Dan wasn't looking at Joyce, but she got a good view of his profile, which she realized wasn't all that different from Vanessa's. It struck her funny how the eyes, cheekbones, and ears that made him look kooky, though in a cute way, made her breathtaking. Guessing it's going to be a while. Yeah. Here, I should check with Kevin by the driveway, since I kind of ditched him when I should have been helping greet. Do you want to come with? No, thanks. I'll just mingle. And don't worry, I'll keep our secrets to myself. Joyce drew a pinky across her throat. Julia giggled. You have been listening to Legacy Door, episode 1.6, Pieces. Jamie Gosling was the primary narrator. Michelle Lamone was Joyce Vera. Jamie Wren was Dan Lutcher and Kevin Dorn. Teresa Echeveste was Julia Dorn. John Dre was Tom Riley. Joseph Page was Arthur Dorn. Stacy Tappan was Vanessa Dorn. The opening music was Ethereal Thoughts by Victor Wayne. The closing music is Show Me the Way, also by Wayne. You can hear works by him at Toontank.com. The Legacy Door cover photograph is by Roxana Anash. This episode's cover image is Woman in White Dress Standing on the Field by Sergei Severidov. You can find images by him on Unsplash. So, now we know that Dan is meeting with both the rich uncle and the crazy one, 
that Vanessa's tempestuous feelings about him continued into her teenage years, and Joyce is fitting in pretty easily. All of this will contribute to the atmosphere of next week's episode, Understandings. And you can aid your own understanding of this work by visiting our website at LegacyDoor.wordpress.com, where we have transcripts, family trees, and production info. You can also find us at Legacy Door Novel on Twitter and Facebook, or review us on Apple Podcasts. This podcast is an abridged version of the novel Legacy Door, available in Kindle or paperback from Amazon, and as an audiobook from many retailers, including Audible. It was made possible by Dueling Genre Productions. And we welcome any support in terms of recommendations, reviews, or purchases. Legacy Door is copyright 2021 by Bob J. Kester. All rights reserved. This is Bob J. Kester. Goodbye.